0: Good morning. So my name is Laurel Brockschmidt. I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning. So this morning we discover a deeper invitation from Jesus for a relationship. Jesus grieves hard-hearted people who feel more safe in religious ritual than in relationship with him. Jesus invites all of us to trust his love more than we trust anything else. Jesus loves you. Do you trust him? Hear his word in your heart. This comes from Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar in the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful, but any of but the priest to eat, for any of the priests to eat, sorry, <laughs> and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: Thank you, Laurel. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is a joy to be in worship with you today. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, please keep them open uh, in Mark chapter 2 and 3. Uh, we're going to uh, be looking at this pericope together. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible or need a Bible, we can get you a Bible. Uh, we have some that are back here. If you have one on your phone, please feel free uh, to look at that. It's it's beautiful. As we uh, continue to study Mark, uh, Jesus continues to compel us. To compel us to move beyond the, the religious ritual that so often we hide behind or or uh, can find comfort in, and to move into a, a deeper relationship with Him. Uh, we can often just stay hungry uh, by rejecting the feast that Jesus offers, the, the invitation to, to come to His banquet table as Him being the bridegroom And us, the church, being His bride, to feast and to celebrate with Him. And the invitation that Christ offers again this week, uh, it is highlighted by the contrast, uh, the conflict that He's having with the Pharisees and what turns out to be also the Herodians. Uh, Just to remind you of the context of the conflict, uh, just a few verses uh, to to take us there. The, The conflict that Jesus had... Uh, when he raised, when he made the paralyzed man walk, it should be on the screen uh, up above, in in chapter two, one to twelve, uh, the the Pharisees looked at him and said, "No one can forgive sins, but but God alone." And Jesus showed that he was more than a healer, that he was God Himself, who can forgive sins. And again later, when Jesus was having fellowship with the tax collectors and the sinners, uh, he revealed Himself as more than a teacher especially to those who were judging him for spending time with those that are on the margin of society. Jesus loves outcasts and sinners. Last week, we we saw that religious ritual is not the point of the gospel story, Uh, that Jesus is more than a religious ritual. He's more than just a day or a time of fasting. He is the God who loves us and wants relationship with us. The conflict that is the context of these five stories is really the backdrop to what Jesus wants you to understand, that he loves you and he wants relationship with you. And today we're going to see that Jesus is more than a holy day. He is the Holy One, and He's not someone that's a target or a threat, but He's a Savior that we can trust. As we go to God's Word, let's go to God together in prayer and ask His Spirit to really help us celebrate the substance of this invitation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for Your love and Your grace, and we ask that Your Holy Spirit would move beyond uh, the cumbersome words of the one who speaks, the inconsistencies of my heart, the distractions of all of our hearts, and that you would speak through the power of your word, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and hearts to receive, Lord. We long to trust you and to trust your love. We long to know that you've made a way that we can return to the Holy One of Israel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We talked last week about how Christians often miss the richness of Jesus and the love and the grace that he offers because we have a transactional relationship with Jesus Christ. We identify with the Pharisees who too often prioritize the religious ritual over the relationship that Jesus invites us to. Like the woman who was offered any tip she wanted and she asked for a $5 tip, not even believing that there could be something greater than that, so too Christians oftentimes sell Jesus short, not believing that he wants to give you immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. That Jesus, we, we come to him with our, our, our knowing our need of forgiveness, defining ourselves by our own shame and our shortcomings and our struggles, and we try to patch up old religious garments with dirty religious works. And that doesn't cover our sin. We miss the richness of his grace and his forgiveness by coming to him in our own self-righteousness. We miss the richness and the vastness of his love when we take our own work and our own performance more serious than what he has done for us. Now, I was very encouraged last week and have been very humbled this whole year about the interaction that people have given uh, in response to different messages. I'm encouraged by how people in small groups and Sunday school classes are taking the word that is preached and really diving deep in what it means in community. What I wanted to do was to share two pieces of communication that I got this week. The first uh, is a C.S. Lewis quote. Somebody texted me and they said, uh, Your uh, sermon reminded me about how my desires are far too little. And then this quote from C.S. Lewis's essay turned book, The Weight of Glory, was in the quote. C.S. Lewis writes, It seemed, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. It is our desire that as we study these uh, revelations of who Christ really is, that your desire to know him personally is deepened. That you want to move beyond the, the religious ritual of just making little sandcastles and, and, and mud pies in a slum when he offers an amazing, amazing gift of more than a holiday at a sea, freedom to live true humanity. The second uh, communication, I got several, but this one I want to highlight because I think it captures a lot of people's hearts. It's a thread. Someone said, Mitchell, I appreciate what you said, but it sounded like you were saying religious ritual is bad. I'm trying to grow in my devotion and my following Christ, uh, and I want to know, should I just abandon all religious rituals in the name of relationship? And I said, no, of course not. Prayer, the example last week, is good. It is the way that we connect and commune with our Father in Heaven through the Son. But if prayer is only practiced so that you will experience some sort of blessing, then that's transactional. You're not engaging Jesus for who He is. You're using Jesus for what you want. That's not Christianity. There's far more that is offered. And and so I would enjoy talking about the different disciplines of grace, prayer, fasting, fellowship, worship, Bible study, serving, giving, generosity. All of these are vehicles that increase our faith and our intimacy with the Lord. Today we're going to talk about Sabbath. We could put on that list. Here's the deal. Jesus desires an intimate relationship with you. He loves you, and he wants your heart, and he's just not going to settle. He's going to keep pursuing you until you move out of this rigid, just life where we feel like if we just check the right boxes, we'll get the right outcomes, and he wants you to truly trust him and to trust his love. He gives us sacred rhythm so that we can know him more intimately. So let, let's keep wrestling, all right? Let's keep wrestling with God's word and discerning how it impacts us as disciples and our relationships at work and our marriages at school and, and, and life in this city together. Let's keep doing that. But right now as we head into the passage, I want to, I want to remind you of, of the context of the conflict. Look at verse 24. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, look at why are they doing that? What they're doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. They're trying to bust Jesus. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. It says that they were watching Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Why? The end of verse 2? So that they might accuse him. Oh, confirmation bias. They are seeing what Jesus is doing so that they can come to this clue, conclusion in verse 6. Uh, that they would take counsel with the Herodians on how they could destroy Jesus. It is a very threatening thing that the God of the universe, the total authority over all that is seen and unseen, a power that is greater than any economic power, any religious power, any political power, any uh, social power, that this God makes himself available for relationship. That's threatening to people who have power. And Sabbath, the discussion of the Sabbath is the corridor of this conflict, the rising conflict of this section of Mark. Now, the Pharisees took Sabbath seriously. That's not a bad thing. God also takes Sabbath seriously. But if you look at Sabbath or any sort of spiritual discipline as a way that you can somehow come up with a formula where you can use that to manipulate God to get what you want, or where you feel like you're religious and somehow that's going to uh, counter the balances of your life, then you are misunderstanding and misapplying the gifts of God that he gives the people of God. Sabbath is a gift. But the Pharisees, they had 39 different laws against what you can't do on the Sabbath. And these laws range from everything from combing your hair to climbing. Some of you say, I would love to have a day where I didn't feel the pressure to comb my hair. Yeah, it's all right. No judgment here. But they were, the regulations were so tight that they even regulated how many steps you could take in a day. Because if you went over 1,999, you may in fact be going on a journey. And journeys were illegal on the Sabbath. You see? They were very, very meticulous. And one of those regulations of the 39 that you couldn't do on the Sabbath was harvesting. And look at what Jesus is doing in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, that is through the grain fields, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. That is harvesting. Jesus then is surely breaking one of these religious laws against the Sabbath. And so is his disciples. In verse 24, the Pharisees are quick to point it out. They say, look. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And can't you just get this picture? I don't know how long they had been walking following Jesus if they went over the prescribed amount and actually went on a journey as he journeyed through the grain fields. I'm not sure, but I have this image of men who are dressed with uh, nice extravagant robes and hats and beards saying, look, we busted them. They're plucking the heads of grain, right? Oh, wow, we're on the edge of our (laughs) seats. Why does it matter? What is the Sabbath? Can we just back up a little bit and see why it's important? Why we need to appreciate it, at least as the context in the corridor for this conflict? The Sabbath is a gift, it's grace, and it's a sign. Why is it a gift? In creation, God gave Sabbath as part of the rhythm of His divine design. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, God set apart the seventh day to rest. Work was done and complete. Worship must ensue. Time and fellowship with the Creator in the context of finished creation. It was a gift to God's people, His creatures. Well, when sin entered the world, Sabbath remained part of the fabric of God's divine design. And in fact... What was a grace in creation became a gift to those people who were redeemed in new creation. The Israelites were slaves in Israel for more than four centuries. And when they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, they were in the wilderness. And God gave a list of Ten Commandments. Number four, we just read about the Heidelberg Catechism, was that they should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. To do no work on the Sabbath. That is a gift. Imagine being slaves for so long in your history that no one in your family remembers a time where you weren't working at other people's commands, at the authorities' commands, at the cost of of your own physical well-being, your own fatigue, seven days a week from sunrise to sunset. Now all of a sudden, you've been redeemed and you've been freed and the authority of all authorities is saying, you have a day where you can do nothing but rest and worship me that's good news to former slaves it's a gift of grace but not only that it's a it's a, it's a gift it's grace but it's also a sign and just as much as exodus 20 and deuteronomy 5 celebrate the gift of grace that is the uh, day of rest and sabbath and worship for God's people who used to be slaves, so Exodus chapter 20, for, uh, 31, 12 to 17, and Ezekiel 20 and other places call the Sabbath a sign. It is a sign between God's people and God himself. It is a sign for all other people to know that they exclusively belong to the Lord in relationship. Now let me uh, try to bring this home to you there is a love relationship between God and his people. He makes his desire for relationship known through redeeming his people from slavery in Egypt and then through the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, I want to make my love known to you for you to show the sign of our relationship. I give you Sabbath. This ring is a sign. It is a sign that I exclusively belong to the greatest woman in the history of the world, Lisa Moore, my wife. She made vowels, and she not vowels. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, like Pat Sajak just came out of me. Right? You want to buy a vowel? Golly, it's a place of grace. Nobody's perfect. She made vowel. <laughs> Gosh, it was closing prayer. She made vowel. There's no L in that. There's L in our love, but no L in vowel, vowels. And she sealed those vowels with this ring. I wear this ring as a sign that I exclusively belong to her. And this is the heart of the gift of Sabbath. When all the other nations and all the other economies are built off of endless slave-like labor and work, where people are married to profit, and people are married to economic engines, and people are married to productivity, I want you to proclaim that your love exclusively belongs to me. And that sign is not a wedding ring. It is Sabbath. Now, that's been a particular image for me that as I've begun my journey, just beginning, of being a recovering workaholic. I say that in full seriousness. That imagery has been most helpful to me. Uh, Some of you have been following along with us in the Keller book, The King's Cross. He has a tremendous chapter on Sabbath and the teaching of Jesus on Sabbath and the conflict with the Pharisees. And and one nugget that I want to glean from that is he calls Sabbath deep rest. He calls it uh, a synonym for shalom. That we're invited by the love of God to trust His love so much that we rest in Him completely. Now, why does God give us Sabbath? I want to illustrate that by telling you a story of my brother, okay? My family of origin is so full of stories of how not to do things. It's really comical. My brother was four years older than me and I learned how to not take care of my car from my brother John. He graduated from college. Uh, he went to New Orleans trying to make it in different capacities. One is a street musician uh, and various other uh, endeavors that he had. And he tried to make ends meet uh, in many ways. One of those was by delivering pizzas. He drove in New Orleans thousands and thousands of miles delivering pizzas. Until one day his car just stopped and started smoking for no reason. And he got towed to the garage. And I, I remember when he called home and, and called uh, my mom and my stepfather. Who's the most, he was the most southern man you've ever heard talk. And he, he was from Mississippi, and he never said an awe in his life. He was so southern. My mom gets on the phone, and my, my brother's like, Mom, my car just stopped and started smoking. Well, are you okay, honey? Yeah, I'm fine. I have no idea why my car just stopped and started smoking. And Felix goes, well, baby, when was the last time he changed the oil? <laughs> and my brother goes, uh, my, my mom asked the question, and John was like, what do you mean change the oil? <laughs> well, baby, did nobody teach your, your boy that he needed to change the oil when he drove in a car? Who the fuck? So little Mitchell took some notes. It's important to change your oil. <laughs> How not to take care of your car. You see, cars are made for driving. Garages are made for cars, not cars for garages. Pit stops for oil changes or tire pressure actually enhance the ride and the longevity of the car. In the same way, God gives Sabbath to his people so that they can experience what could be called pit stops of his grace. We're in God alone, in that relationship, we can find rest, restoration, reset, renewal, reflection, because we need it. We're actually designed to be dependent on Him. You might like that, not like this fact, but you are created with limitations. You can't do everything, you can't be everywhere, and despite what your Google Pocket computer tells you, you can't know everything. You have limitations. And Sabbath is a a rejuvenating reminder that if we reject it, I promise you, life will stop and start smoking. He has a design. And God wants the sacred places. He's always designed the sacred places to be fuel for our, our relationship with Him and our mission for Him. And that's why if you look down at verses 25 and 26, you see Jesus responds to the accusations, the public accusations of the Pharisees, uh, with an Old Testament picture. He says, have you never read that when David, what David did when he was in need and he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how they entered into the house of God, and in a time of Abithar the high priest, they ate bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and they also gave it to those who were with them? God has always designed the sacred places and spaces of this world to be fuel for your faith and your relationship with him, for your mission and your purposes for him as you drive in life. In in, in his sacred uh, prescriptions and and the places and spaces, they're not intended for us to come up with some sort of formula where we can obtain some sort of personal piety and feel better about ourselves but they're intended for partaking in deepening personal relationship with a God who has redeemed us and restored us. And through his means of grace, he is renewing us. And, and frankly, this is what makes Christianity unique among all world religions. All world religions, we have to perform and, and, and use, follow certain laws and climb them as if it's a ladder trying to get to God. And Jesus completely redefines religion in the context of relationship. Cars, they're not made for garages, but garages are made for cars. Man and woman, you're not made for Sabbath so you can check some sort of box, but Sabbath was made for you. And Jesus says that in verse 27, and then he makes this unbelievable claim. He says, so the Son of Man, that is him, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He is saying that deep rest, the shalom of God's created design, is only found in relationship with him. This is amazing. You remember uh, when, when they were frustrated in earlier in Mark 2, uh, the Pharisees were because Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. No one can forgive sins but God alone. You remember when he was frustrated when, when he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And he said, the Son of Man, it's not, it's not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. So the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. Now, you remember when when they were upset with Jesus because he and his disciples weren't fasting? And Jesus said, I'm the bridegroom. You don't fast when you're celebrating and feasting with a bridegroom. I want relationship. So, too, this claim of being Lord of the Sabbath would completely confound and just make frustrated the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They would have none of it. He is the bridegroom who loves you. And to show our love for him, he gives us a sign so that we can rest. And just like the church father Augustine said, our hearts will be restless until we find rest in him. Now look, I confess, I'm a part and oftentimes a proponent, unfortunately, of the workaholic culture that is permissive and pervasive in our society, that we can prioritize productivity and profit Even over and above a personal relationship with the living God who loves us. I mean, I know people like that, right? (laughs) I am someone like that. But Jesus alone offers deep rest because He alone is our Creator. He's the Word that spoke creation into existence. Jesus alone is our Redeemer. He saves us from something more than the Israelites were saved from in, in Egypt as slaves. He saves us from the slavery of our sin. He removes the penalty of sin by dying on the cross for us. He removes the power of sin by giving us the Holy Spirit as His children. He gives us the promise that one day there will be a, no more presence of sin for all who belong to Him. Jesus loves you. He is the bridegroom and he invites you to feast on his love. When I'll tell you, I've been trying this year, 2021, to try to take 24 hours a week where I acknowledge God, you are the creator. I will not create God. You are my redeemer. I am going to rest in your gospel promises. I am sufficient in your love. I don't need to prove my sufficiency at work. I am secure in your love. I don't need to live out of insecurity by trying to outproduce everybody. I am worthy by your grace. I don't need to prove my worth over your productivity. That's been hard for me. Very difficult. Ask the people who are close to me, but I want to wear it as a sign. I am not married to profit. I am not married to productivity. I am not married to social status. I am not married to work. I have received vows, V-O-W-S, Vowels, gosh, from the King of Kings, the Creator and the Redeemer, who loves me and has given Himself for me so that I can rest in deep dependency on Him finding a taste of God's created design. You know what I realize? I realize that the whole pericope, the whole part of chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, is speaking to me. It's unbelievable. Jesus goes on in the last part of this, and, and he diagnoses hard hearts that reject this invitation. It's a fascinating picture where Jesus enters the synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees are watching Jesus. They want to bust him. Jesus gives a sign. He heals this man with a withered hand, and that sign, it validates him as the messenger. He is God. He brings restoration. But it also validates his message. You can wear the sign of my love for you and your exclusive belonging to me and find restoration, renewal, and regeneration in the garage of my grace. But verse 5 has really haunted me look at this. And Jesus looked around at them in anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. My hardness of heart, our hardness of heart, not believing Jesus's promise, not trusting his love, not resting in his grace, not resting in his sovereignty. It's a rejection, not of a holy day, but actually the Holy One. And He's angry. Not in the sense where He's going to come at us and be punitive, but He's angry because we're settling for too little. Our desires are far too small. We're like the quote from the Weight of Glory that we read earlier. We're content making mud pies in a slum and He's offering the vastness and the richness of His grace and His love. That angers him because he loves us. It angers him so much that he went to the cross to die for my workaholism, for the idolatries in my heart that manifest through productivity, that manifest in production, that manifest in trying to prove my worth, that manifest in this autonomous lifestyle where I care more about what you think of me than being rooted and grounded in the unconditional love of God that's been proven in Christ's work for me. That angers him. And He died on the cross. He took all the anger out on Himself to free us, to free me, to return to Him. And the invitation, how can we return to rest and restoration and renewal? It's super easy. Believe. Lord, help us with our unbelief. When we believe, we rest in the finished work of Jesus. Our ritual cannot save us. Our religion cannot restore us or give us life. Only relationship with Jesus, where we admit our sin, believe what he's done, and confess with our lips and our lives that he alone is Lord, trusting him so much so that we are going to go towards him and not just the signs of our faith. I mean, you've all seen Lord of the Rings, right? You remember Smeagol? Smeagol was that just dehumanized person that was obsessed with the ring. My precious, my precious. Oh yes, my precious. Remember that guy that was not even a tenth human? That's what happens when we're focused on the sign, the ring, and not the relationship that it signifies. Only when we can rest in the finished work of Jesus can we find the restoration of our humanity renewal of our very being it is finished your sins are forgiven you don't need to religiously perform anymore but we also have the invitation to rest in the redemption of Jesus, it's it's only the gospel where we can find the security that we all need the significance that we all long for, and the worthiness that you hunger for you want to feel worthy You're created to show and savor worth. You will never find that in your own performance, but only in the finished performance of Jesus Christ. The significance that you seek to find in working and working socially, in working at the club, and working and work and working, trying to be the best parent, the significance that you long it can only be found in the gospel. God looks at you in Christ and he's satisfied. He's pleased with you. It's finished. Rest in his redemption, and you'll find that you can rest in the restoration of Jesus. When we respond to God's grace through intentionally deepening our intimacy with Jesus, when we're taking pit stops in the garage of grace, and join, join me on this journey, then in prayer, in meditation, and study, and reflection, and worship and service and giving, those aren't transactional where we're trying to obligate God to give us our best life now or to, or to give us a fruitfulness in something or healing in some place. It's this deep invitation to rest in Jesus. That is the offer that's for us when Jesus says, the Sabbath isn't made for humans, but humans for the Sabbath. He's the bridegroom and he's the Lord of the Sabbath and he invites you to trust his love. Let's pray. Lord, we believe. Will you help us with our unbelief? We long, Lord, to really rejoice in the relationship that we are offered by you and through you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd touch our hearts. Please, please, Lord, help us to just experience the deep celebration of your love for us. And, Lord, to experience the deep rest that we can find in you. You're a God that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us, we pray in your name. Amen.